Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. In all of the installments of Pitbull Stories, I have special guests who share their stories of what it was like to um, acquire a Pitbull type dog, to live with a Pitbull type dog, and kind of share their experience of how they worked through some of those stigmas and how they advocate for the breed now. I've been the proud owner of two blocky headed dogs and our current blocky headed dog, Waylon, is an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I know what it feels like to experience some of the stigmas that the world wants to throw at you, and my intention with this series is to reassure all of you amazing blocky-headed owners that our beloved pit bulls are amazing, and we can play a huge role in advocating for the breed. So please enjoy these episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Pitbull Stories, please send me a DM over on the Instagram at a feeling underscore NCO. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. So I have another wonderful human being who shares her life with blocky-headed dogs. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your dogs. Okay, my name is Alex. I am a full-time NICU nurse, uh, part-time photographer, part-time small business owner, and of course, dog momager. Um, I'm dog mom to Enzo and Bella. Um, They're both pit mixes, both rescues. Um, Enzo came from the Humane Society of Huron Valley in Michigan in 2017, and Bella was through Poet Animal Rescue in 2018. Um, Enzo really essentially came from Tennessee. Um, The shelter used to do like a love train where they would bring dogs from all over the country to get adopted. Uh, And then Bella, her mom was pregnant rescued out of um, Detroit. She, I think she was tied up to a phone pole or something. So her whole litter was born in foster and we kind of just fell in love with her craziness and we <laughs> brought her home. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So did you have blocky headed dogs prior to Enzo and Bella? No. And I was kind of one of those people that fell into the, you know, whole it wasn't like fully into the stigma of like pit bulls, you know, are bad and dangerous. Cause I used to um, volunteer at the shelter that we got Enzo from and we used to walk the dogs and, you know, it was a lot of pit bulls, of course. Um, but there was still kind of like in the back of my mind, a little bit of apprehension. And when we had decided, so my dog passed in October, the year before we got Enzo and my husband's dog passed, I think a year before that. So you're kind of like dogless and you know we had grown up with dogs and we loved them and so we wanted to get one but my parents were kind of against it they didn't want to get attached again you know it's difficult when they when they're gone so um finally when we had decided that we're gonna get our own house and move in we're like okay well now we got to figure out what kind of dog we want and he wants big dogs and I wanted like a medium-sized dog and we just kept going back and forth between breeds and I wanted to rescue he had never rescued before so my previous dog was a rescue and finally we just he just kind of caved and we went to the shelter and we didn't really see anything we liked so we went back two weeks later and um we saw i think there's only three puppies in the puppy room it was enzo and two of his siblings they were like out in the corner we just walked over there we didn't say anything um we saw him we looked at each other and we said okay he's the one so we literally spent five minutes with him we're like all right we're taking him um and we were super excited he had to stay in the shelter for 10 days because his siblings had parvo so they were just kind of keeping him on watch um so we were excited to bring him home but in the back of my mind I was always like well 
his tag says he's a lab mix, but clearly, <laughs> clearly he's got pit bull in him. And I know shelters are notorious for doing that. And I mean, for good reason, um, because maybe we might've been deterred if, you know, they said he was a pit mix, but um, we still took him home and we just kind of took it day by day. And after a while, it didn't really matter anymore until he got older. And then we kind of fell into that whole, like, you know, issues with like people being scared of pit bulls. And we got a lot of like, we went to the ice cream place um, one time and this was when we had Bella already. She was a tiny puppy. And then it was me with Enzo and Bella and then our friend had was a doodle. And, um, you know, of course everybody wants to doodle like yeah. typical. Um, and then we're standing in line and Enzo's literally just wagging his tail, just wants to be loved. He's very social. Like he just wants to say hi to everybody. He's the happiest dog ever. And the guy in front of us turns around and he's like, Oh, is he mean? Does he bite? I was like, come on, like, really, if he did, do you think I'd bring him in the middle of a crowd? Like, no. But I mean, we got a lot of that. And then kind of the older he got, like, as a puppy, it wasn't too bad. But then as he got bigger, it just happened more and more and more. So um, didn't have them before. I don't think now we would have anything else. We just fell in love with them, my husband, too. Um, and I feel like that's, that's very typical of people who get pit bull type dogs and, you know, any bully breed. Um, but it, it is, it is a challenge sometimes and it is a struggle and it does put some pressure on us to, you know, make sure our dogs are extra well behaved and, you know, extra like good about their training because all really all it takes is one slip up and, you know, it's kind of downhill from there. And we have friends who always say, oh, your dogs are so well trained or they're most well trained. Well, we really don't have a choice. Like it really just puts a lot of pressure. And I mean, it's not a bad thing, but um, it's always there. You know, you always have that little bit of fear you know, when people ask you, what kind of dog do you have? And I always, you know, say, well, pit mixed. And they're like, I'd never know what to expect because some people are like, oh yeah, you know, they're the best dogs ever. And then some people are like, oh, be careful. They'll eat you alive. Like, and even well-meaning people, like I had a guy who just came and repaired my windshield and we just got to talking obviously because it always leads to dogs. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about pit bulls and he's like, yeah, you know, they're the best dogs. You know what they used to be called? Like nanny dogs, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, but like people are scared because they have the whole lockjaw thing. And I was like, eh, hold up. <laughs> That's not true. I was like, scientifically, there's nothing that dif makes them different from any other dog. They're just, they do have a lot more power and muscle in them. That's just how they're built. But their jaw doesn't lock. <laughs> and then he, he brought up a good point. Like even if humans, if they bite down on something, they don't want to let go. It's, you know essentially lockjaw whatever air quotes but you know it's it's a process of of teaching people and I think the important part of being an advocate for these dogs is is trying to keep your cool even though I know sometimes it's hard and just kind of being the bigger person and and educating them the best you can and realizing that some people just aren't going to change their mind but at least you know you tried and you didn't scream and fight with them and because that's usually not going to get anywhere <laughs> Yeah, right. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things that like, there's really this double standard, right? That like, you know, if you owned a doodle, no one would think twice, right? Like no one would ever think to ask you, is this dog going to bite me? But as soon as you put that dog in a blocky headed package, right? Like it just, it changes, it changes people's perception. And it's, it's not right or fair, but it does change the responsibility on the human end, right? That like, we really do have to go more above and beyond for our dogs and education and being a responsible dog owner than the average dog owner has to. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And I think, um, I think that sometimes leads to issues because 
you know, there are a lot of, of bully breeds and shelters and we are pushing to get them out and we are pushing for people to adopt because you're great dogs. But at the same time, it's like with any breed, you have to know what you're getting into, like, you know, pits and, and Amstaffs and everything in between, like bully breeds in general, I feel like are very stubborn dogs. They're very smart. They're very loving, but they can also be super hard headed. And I feel like people like take a pit bull home. And they're like, Oh, you know, cause I want to rescue them. That's great. But then they either end up bringing them back to the shelter or, you know, the dog will bite somebody or, you know, whatever it is, like any other dog. Um, and I, I think that like people need to understand that they're a dog like any other dog. And when you do get a dog, you need to research and know what breed you want to get and, you know, be fully committed to that. And I don't think people understand that sometimes. And I think that's kind of somewhere where the reputation starts going downhill a little bit too, because if you're not going to train your dog and, you know, it's like everybody says, Oh, chihuahuas bite and they're mean. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I've also come to the conclusion that I feel like people who get small dogs like that just don't put effort into training because like, Oh, I can just pick up my dog and walk away. Well, that's why most of them are the way they are. That's why most of them are scared and bite and bark and because they don't train them and you can't do, you can't not train a pit bull or, you know, even a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd or a Golden Retriever or a Doodle. There's so many Doodles that I come across. They're just wild because people get dogs just to have dogs. And I feel like they think fluffy dogs, oh, it's fine because they're, you know, they're not going to bite. Well, yeah, they can and they will. Yeah. You know, a dog's a dog. Yeah. And it's not breed specific, right? And I think that to your point about pit bull type dogs, right? Like they are not for the faint of heart. Like you're literally getting an athlete, right? And you have to be really real about the fact that they probably are going to be strong. They may pull on leash, right? Like you have to be ready and prepared for that because I think, you know, there's this weird shift, right? Where like now I feel like social media has really shifted like people's perception of pit bull type dogs, which is good in a lot of ways. But I think that that can be challenging because people don't realize that like, yes, you see this cute dog sleeping on the couch and snuggling, but what you maybe you're not seeing is the like miles and miles that this dog is getting out and running or walking. And, you know, um, you know, I have some lovely people who have asked me, right? Like about Waylon and, and AM staffs and, you know, some of those people, I very lovingly tell them that they probably are not equipped for the breed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Right. And it, it's so true. And I think we have to have these real conversations about like pit bull type dogs are a lot of things, but they are strong. Right. And they do take consistency and they do need training. And if you don't have the bandwidth for that, that's when these recipes of problems happen. Right. Where people don't have realistic expectations about what they're getting in a dog. And like, not to say that there aren't some exceptions, because let's be honest, there are, there are some of those couch potato pit bull type dogs that like don't really need that much exercise and they're happy to chill, but that is not the, the norm, right? Like by and large, um, pit bull type dogs need a lot of exercise. They need a lot of mental stimulation. They need a lot of training. And we're, I feel like we're missing the point if we don't talk about the realities of that. Pit bulls are amazing in so many ways, but they also have very high requirements when it comes to training and exercise. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. They're very smart dogs. So they do need a lot of mental stimulation and they do get bored easily. And that's when they start destruction, like Bella destroyed our life for the first year and a half <laughs> because she's got anxiety first of all so that doesn't help but then she's also just a very like 
smart dog that always needs to be stimulated. And when we leave the house, obviously she doesn't get that. So that's when she starts chewing couch cushions and pillows and shoes and I, literally everything and anything. And I mean, of course, most dogs can do that. Um, but I think it's just, it's, it's the same thing, you know, with a German Shepherd or like when we were talking about getting a dog and we're talking about breeds, you know, the Belgian Malinois or however you say the name. Um, I love those dogs and I think they're incredible and they're incredibly smart. But I backed off when I realized how much, you know, stimulation they need physical, first of all, and mental. Like, that's just something I can't handle. And I'm not going to get in the middle of that if, if I can't handle it, because that's just a recipe for disaster for me and for the dog. So um, while it's amazing how many people advocate for bully breeds, I think, and I just, I just kind of realized this recently, um, I think in a way we've, we've been doing them harm too, because, you know, we're putting them on a pedestal, which is great because they are great dogs, but it's kind of hard to not separate them because of the situation they're in. Um, but then people do need to realize that dogs are dogs and anything can happen, really. It's just, um, it's just a shame that they're just, you know, <laughs> put in such a bad position that they can nip at a person and you know they'll get put down or something I don't know it's just it's good and it's bad and I think there's pros and cons to both but really at the end of the day it's about responsible ownership and people use you know the whole it's how they're raised theory which you know is partly true of course but it's like humans too it's the whole nature versus nurture concept like yes a lot of it is how you're raised but a lot of it is just who you are and and some dogs just are inherently bad and some dogs you know I mean, how many dogs that were rescued from dog fights who are like the nicest, most incredible dogs and, you know, are fine. Or there's dogs that are raised from puppies and they're just monsters. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I don't know, people just need to understand that and they need to realize that, you know, at the end of the day, they are animals and they can, it can go both ways, but you have to be responsible. You have to understand your dog's language and their body language and know when, when they've had enough. And I think that's, part of the problem that people don't get that like especially with kids like I know Enzo I know his limits and I know he loves kids so I'm okay when I have friends over that bring their kids and you know pet him and stuff of course to a certain limit if I start seeing him get uncomfortable we pull him out of the situation that's that Bella on the other hand is terrified of kids so I would never put her in a situation where I'm going to force her to lay down or have a kid climb on top of her um, because that's just not going to end well for anybody but a lot of people, you know, you see all these kids climbing on top of dogs and they're like, oh, yeah, they're fine. Well, just because they're laying there doesn't mean they're fine. You know, they got their ears pulled back or they, you know, you can tell that they're uncomfortable if you know the body language. And I think before adopting dogs, people need to kind of brush up on some research because it's not just, it's not like a fish, like just throw them in a tank, and call it a day. Like dogs are very advanced and very complex. And uh, I think the more we learn about them, the more we understand. And I think social media has done a great um, deal of justice in that. And that's how I learned a lot of information is, you know, believe it or not through Instagram. It's been, I started it off as just, you know, a place to share dog pictures, but it's really been so much more than that. The, the Instagram community is, is just, it's just on a whole nother level. And I think until you're part of that dog community, you don't really understand. Um, but it's a great place. It's a great place for information. It's a great place to um, meet people. Like I've met so many people over here in Michigan that I've made great friends with just because of Instagram. We have this Instagram dog mom group, um, which 
all but one. We have an honorary bully, but everybody you know has a bully breed and you know, American bullies and pit mixes and amstaffs and everything between. Um, and we've just it's started because of Corona. We started doing Zooms, but we've just become the closest group of of people, and it's been really amazing to have that support to fall back on because they get it. Like they understand, you know, dogs are our life and just you know we've gone anywhere from talking about dogs to just life in general and just being that support group for each other and it's been amazing and some of them have met up and i've gotten to meet a couple in real life when we did our road trip we went to california and met pirate and you know a lot of them live on the east coast so that's our next road trip plan for next year to go and hang out with them but it's just been cool like instagram has been so much more than just a social media app for us yeah and like building that community, right? Because, you know, and that was so much my intention in starting the series, right? Is building more community around people who, and especially like the new Pitbull owner, right? Who is maybe like really new into like, okay, I'm getting these looks from my community. My family is worried about me. And I think that we're unique, right? We're unique in that way that we didn't choose a breed of dog that everyone just loves automatically, right? We chose a breed or breeds of dog that unfortunately come with some stigmas, right? And that is, that's an emotional roller coaster on the human end of things, right? Like it's worth it. We do it every day. That's why we're having these conversations. But um, I think that it's important, right? That we come together and support each other because ultimately if we feel supported, we can go out and advocate for the breed in our own unique ways. And I think that that's really part of the solution, right? Um, but I want to circle back to something you said about behavior and body language, because I think that ultimately that's really the crux of every conversation around breed of dog, right? Is that it's not about the breed of dog. It's about humans being more aware, more savvy, and more adept at reading dog body language. Because if we all could do that, right, we could look at a dog and look past the blocky head and really observe more of the body language. Because I think if we could all be more fluent in body language, I, I don't think that the stigmas would stick so hard. I 100% agree, definitely. Um, it's it's just being about being responsible owners and understanding, you know, that sometimes dogs are uncomfortable in certain situations, just like humans. Like we're not okay in every situation. We don't want to meet every single person we see. We don't like every single person we see and dogs are the same and people don't get that. And we just kind of, cause I feel like back in the day, dogs were just, you know, there to protect or they're, you know, they weren't part of the family. And now that they are, you need to start, adapting and you need to start learning that they do have characteristics and they do have personalities and they do have certain mental requirements that need to be met. Some dogs are more anxious than others. Like Bella just is hardcore anxiety while Enzo is just laid back and chill. And we spent a year with Enzo before we got Bella. And I think that was a good choice because we fully got to understand and we got to devote time to him as training and everything. And then we got Bella and we learned her personalities too. And we learned her limits. And we know, you know, we know her so well that we pretty much know how she's going to react in certain situations. And she does surprise us sometimes for the better. Her self-confidence has improved. There we go. Uh, and that's definitely helped. Um, but like I said, the more, the more we learn about them, the more we can better adapt to them and understand that, okay, a dog that is confident is going to behave better and is going to, you know, be a happier dog. And, then you got to learn, okay, how do you do that? Like, 
I, we, what, um, we have a trainer that we work with and we went to a confidence building class and, you know, they taught us the touch command. They taught us the focus command, which we've, we'd already been doing with them, but it was just interesting to kind of understand, okay, how and what, like, why does that help them build their confidence and how does that support them? And we know, like, we can read her and we know when she's, you know, in a situation where she's not feeling great and, you know, she needs her space and, and that's an important, very important thing. And that's the number one thing that people need to learn about their dogs is what their limits are and what you need to do to not cross that threshold. You know, you, you pull them away from that situation. You, you have to protect them, you know, or you're their protection, their safeguard. And if you're not going to do that, they're going to resort to whatever they know best. And that's going to be usually biting. Because really, what else? Are, what else can they do? They can't talk and tell us, "Okay, back off, leave me alone." So. Yeah. No, it's so true, and I think um, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. But I think that for me, right, like owning a blocky-headed dog, I feel this innate sense of like I do want him to be an ambassador for the breed, and like you know, I have some luxuries because Waylon is extremely social. He is extremely confident, but like that still reaches limits, right? And like. I think we have to remind ourselves that really our individual dogs are our main priority. It can't just be like we have to put our dogs in situations that they're uncomfortable in because we feel like the public needs to see the breed doing X, Y, or Z. Right, right. I agree. We And some of these dog moms in our group, they have dogs that are um, like triggered by other dogs. They have dogs that are not dog friendly and they do muzzle train and they do all this stuff. And I feel like they're amazing advocates because they do show you that, okay, not every dog is going to be great. Not every dog, but you can work around it. You know, you just have to work differently. You just have to work smart and figure out what works for you. It's just, it's always an individual thing. And I think people sometimes just look at the big picture and don't realize that every person is different. Every dog is different. Every situation is different. The way you learn, the way your dog learns is completely different. And that's why I feel like working with a trainer is critical because a trainer will teach you how to teach your dog. And um, a lot of, and we did consider dropping ours off at the whole like, you know, two week training thing, but I just was not comfortable with that. And I think as time went on, I finally realized why, like you just, it's, it's not the same. It's not this, it's a different connection, a different bond when you're working with your dog personally. And it's just, it takes your relationship to a whole other level. Like when you can tell people who work their with their dogs, people who train their dogs, just have a different relationship with their dog than people who just like, okay, my dog knows how to sit and lay down and that's it. It's just, it's a, it's more distant. It's more just on a different level. Yeah. And like the connection, right? The connection that you get to cultivate, right? And like, you know, in my career as a dog trainer, I used to do a lot of board and trains for different reasons. And like, they were effective in some ways, but ultimately, right? Like to your point, my goal is to empower owners to do the stuff when I'm not there and cultivate that dialogue and that trust between them and the dog, right? Because like, can I go in and teach the dog how to sit, stay, come and call, walk on a leash? Like, yes, I can do that. But what's missing from that is I'm building that trust with in, in connection with the dog, right? And ultimately, it's not about me and that dog. It's about the dog and their owner, right? And, and that's where I feel like, we can really step up and advocate for our dogs by doing that, right? By truly spending the time cultivating that relationship so that when you are out, right, you know, like, oop, they're feeling uncomfortable. We're going to get them out of here. A hundred percent. I definitely agree with that. 
So really it all just comes back to the owners, not the dogs. I mean, it's part of the dogs, but I feel like a lot more of the work needs to come from, from the owner. And yeah, a lot of the problem is that these people just, you know, a lot of people just get a dog to get, have a dog and don't spend the time to work with them. And that's when you do have problems and you do have situations. And unfortunately, pit bulls are put in the spotlight right now. Bully breeds are put in the spotlight. And before I feel like it used to be German Shepherds and Rottweilers and Oh yeah. Really, it's any any big dog. How many golden retrievers bite? Like, yes, they're known to be friendly because that's how the media portrays them. Because at the end of the day, that's what shapes our perspective. But there's a ton of, you know, I don't know the, the facts or the details, but there's a ton of golden retriever bites. There's a ton of lab bites. There's just a big dog can cause damage, period, no matter what their breed is. Yeah, exactly. And it's so true, right? So, okay, so I want to hear just a little bit more about about you and your story. So when you first brought Enzo home, do you feel like your family, like your immediate family, were a little worried that you brought home this like blocky headed puppy? Um, I think a little bit, like once my mom realized that he was part of a pit, you know, like part pit, um, she was like a little bit like weary and you know, it took her some time to just finally like get out of that stigma. Not that she was like scared of him or anything like that. Um, but she was kind of like, okay, well, he's a pit bull, so just be careful. And I've gotten a lot of those comments from my family and nobody ran away from him. Nobody's scared of him, but it's always been like, okay, well, just be careful when he grows up or like, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, my mom always made those comments about, um, you know, well, they're dangerous and this and that. And, and once you really sit down and talk to people and make them understand that, like, they're really not that bad. They're really not any different from any other dog. Like it's, it's a different story. And we started fostering, I think two years ago now. Um, and slowly got my mom into it. <laughs> and now she, you know, she's fostering fit mixes all the time. She's got one right now that she's had for, um, a few months and she, like, she loves her and she's a black, black little dog, which my mom was always like, Oh, black dogs. I don't know for whatever reason they have just, people don't like them, but like, she loves them now. She's like, I don't understand why she's not getting adopted. Like, she's just so sweet. She just wants to love them. Like, yeah, I know. But it's just getting over that hump. It's, you know, when you meet them in person, it's a different story. Yeah. And I think that like, through all the conversations I've had with all the amazing people who've devoted their time to this podcast with me, right? Like, that's really the theme, right? That like, initially, like friends and family are a little bit like, wait a minute, right? But then they learn and they start to grow and then they become advocates for the breed, right? Because they understand like how misunderstood they are. And, and I love that so much, right? And I feel like that's a normal human response, right? For our friends and family to be like, wait a minute, I don't know about this. But y'all get to learn and grow together, right? And right. ultimately share that knowledge with more people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's hard not to kind of think a certain way when that's all you've known, like growing up, that's all you hear. Like, of course, you're not going to think any different because you haven't seen any different. If you've never met a pit bull in real life, you're not going to know that they're not these vicious killing machines. Um, and, you know, you see on TV, all the dog fights and all this and that, and it's always pit bulls. Like, yeah, in the back of your mind, like your subconscious is going to form some sort of, you know, opinion about it. And, um, it is, it is a lot about just meeting them in person and, and realizing that they're not that bad. And, um, like I said, we've had both good and, and not bad. Like we've been pretty fortunate where we haven't had any serious altercations with anybody walking. Usually it's just a lot of, they'll like 
turn around or, you know, cross the street or like avoid us. And it's funny because now with our road trip, we were just kind of like, okay, are people avoiding us because of Corona or are people avoiding us because of our dogs? Like we can't tell anymore. Um, but we have gotten people that are like, oh, beautiful dogs. Like, oh, they're so sweet. Oh, this and that. And then you get the people that are like, ooh, I'm scared of you. Even though all you just see is Enzo on a leash, like wagging his tail, being all happy. Like, I don't know how you could be scared of that. He's the biggest just goofball ever. Oh my God. Right. You have to like tell Enzo, like, sorry, buddy. They just don't know you. Right. Like that's why he gets really disappointed when he sees so many wiggles and they don't acknowledge him. He's like, did they see me? I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. They didn't, but it's okay. You're still amazing. (laughs) Right. Like the most dangerous thing about Enzo is his tail. Really honestly. (laughs) Like, Okay. So note (laughs) to everyone listening, pitbull tails will definitely whip you and give you bruises. So yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, we had, we had a foster and his tail was like way thicker than Enzo's and he would hit his tail so hard. He dented our trash can, like the aluminum kind. In the oh my God. And they just, they don't feel any pain. And like, they're just like, whatever, it's fine. It's all good. I don't need my tail. <laughs> Self-preservation is not super strong in all of the uh, blocky headed dogs that I've encountered, but no. They definitely have a high pain tolerance, and I think, you know, they, that's why they, a lot of times they do crop their tails, because they get happy tail, or, you know, they hit their tail so hard, and it fractures or something, they don't realize it, they're just like, okay, it's all good. Yeah, right? Oh my god. They're hardy, and that's what was so attractive to me about the breed, right? Because, like, I know you all get on and do a ton of adventures, too, but, like, that's, that's primarily why I wanted an Amstaff, because I knew that they could keep up with, like, the rugged mountain hikes that we're trying to do all the time, you know? Like, yeah. There are, there's, you know, they're definitely strong-willed. They're definitely literally physically strong, but they're hardy and they will keep up and they will hustle if you need them to. Oh yeah, for sure. And ours have, have been the reason that we've gotten out so much. And they're part of the reason why we did do that road trip because otherwise, okay, well, you know, we'd probably fly somewhere. It just wouldn't have been the same. Like they get us out of the house. They get us adventuring. Um, I have a little bit of social anxiety if you can say, um, and they help with that. Like for me, it's just about having somebody there. If when I go to new places or do new things or meet new people and just having them there for me is just like, it's, it's a huge, you know, like benefit. And it's kind of crazy how much our life has changed since we've gotten them. Um, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's unreal. And I, I don't think anybody can understand until you you're physically in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I completely share that sentiment, right? Like I always joke that I'm in the best, best shape of my life because I'm trying to keep up with the damn dog. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. Physically. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we did, we did some rough hikes. Um, when we were in San Francisco, our five mile hike turned into eight miles because I had no more service and I couldn't keep track of the trail. <clears throat> so it was a lot of like climbing and going down And at one point, the only way to get back was either to go back the way we came from, which was probably double as long, or to go up this really steep hill, which was, I don't know, 800 feet up, I think. Um, So we opted for the hill. (laughs) And to keep it even shorter, we kind of just went straight because I was like, we're not going to zigzag. That's going to take too long. We're already tired. It's hot. So we went straight. And really, the dogs just kept up. They were like little mountain goats. And I was struggling. I was falling behind. They had no problem. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, can, can you think of an example of like a behavior, like a a relatively normal behavior that gets blown out of proportion because of the package that it comes out of? 
um, dog play. <laughs> Have you heard? Yes. Yeah. If you, if you hear Pitbulls play, that was, oh my goodness, the first time we got Bella and they were playing together and well, not really. Enzo, Enzo wasn't that vocal as, as a puppy, but the older he got, the more vocal he got. But when we got Bella and we just, she got bigger and older and they just started going at it. Like now it sounds like they're killing each other. Like if you don't know them any better, it literally like, it's, it's insane. And we've had, when we used to take Enzo to the dog park, we don't anymore because I try to avoid them at all costs. Um, he was vocal and people would get scared and be like, oh, get your dog away from mine. Well, my dog's fine. He's like, I'm not going to let him bite your dog, obviously. Like, if I know he's fine, he's fine. But yeah, definitely, definitely the vocal, vocalness. And he, Enzo is very vocal for anybody who follows us, knows that. Um, and it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> Um, he's like a little baby. So if we go somewhere and he's very impatient, if I make him sit for more than 10 seconds, he starts this just really loud and obnoxious cry. And, you know, people either look at us and laugh or they'll look at us and be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, it sounds like we're killing him. Um, but definitely the vocalness of Pitbulls. <laughs> it's so true. So um, what you just described about Enzo is Waylon to a T, right? Like has a very low tolerance for me asking him to stay still. And <laughs> Right. And like the sounds that come out of them, like that's so my experience too. People are like, and I think that that's why he does it a lot because people laugh at him and then he gets yeah. it. Like, I do truly think that that's part of like the reinforcement history for him is like, he makes that noise and people laugh at him. He's like, Oh, okay. A hundred percent. Yeah. Absurd. Right. People are like, is that a dinosaur? I'm like, Oh no, it's just a dog who I'm torturing because I made him sit still for five seconds, but don't right. Yeah, yeah. No, he was he was very vocal as a puppy, and I'd never heard dogs make that sound before. And he's just he gets more and more vocal as time goes on, and he makes weirder and weirder sounds. Like just yesterday, he was just he was playing with Bella, and I'd never heard him make these sounds before. He just sounded like a I don't even know. Somebody compared it to like an electric toothbrush when you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> and it's so funny because Bella, in general, is not super vocal. I mean, she'll bark here and there when she gets excited or when she plays with Enzo, but otherwise she's not like, she's not really much of a whiner. Like if she wants to go outside, she'll just sit by the back door like forever and just paw at the door until you let her out. And then when she wants to come back in, she does the same, like you could leave her out there all day and you wouldn't know she was outside and she wants to come back in because she's just not, she's just not vocal <laughs> well, <it's> <laughs> until nice. she plays. That just to have one super loud, obnoxious one and not both of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that definitely helps. But I mean, they each have their own obnoxious behaviors in their own ways. Like Bella is an extreme licker. She'll pin you down and lick you nonstop. Um, and so not so much, but she, yeah, she, and I think that has a little bit to do with her anxiety too. I feel like sometimes it's just a coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if anybody raises their voice or like if she knows she's in trouble, even though like we've never really yelled at her just because she used to pee a lot as a puppy when she gets scared or nervous or happy or, you know, she's one of those. So like we never really yelled at her. She just kind of knows when she does something wrong and she like, you could tell her ears go back, her tail starts wagging, then she'll come and lick you and she'll like, then she runs away and grabs a toy and just, it's, it's, it's funny. It's bad, but it's just... Like I said, they, they have their own weird things. <laughs> yes, they do. Well, and I think, you know, like, I think that oftentimes, like, people who are not familiar with blocky-headed dogs, like, they miss, like, how sensitive that the dogs can Oh, yeah. 
know what I mean? Like Waylon is very confident and vocal, but he is also very, very sensitive, right? And can be like very sensitive to like, like you're saying, like yelling in the house, like if my husband and I are talking right. about like, you guys, you're kind of scaring me. Can you please stop that? Right? Like, you know, I think people miss, they see this blocky package and, and they, they don't get to experience the, the many emotional um, limits and, and depths of, of blocky headed dogs. I agree. They're very, emo they're a very emotional breed, a hundred percent. Enzo's very much so a drama queen. <laughs> and he is, like you said, sensitive, like to loud noises and, you know, yelling and um, even just like, if you don't pay attention to him, he gets very like moody. Like <laughs> lately he's been, usually they sleep in bed with us, but lately he's just kind of he just goes off and does his own thing. Like he'll go, he'll rotate between his bed and one of our other bedrooms or the guest bedroom. He'll go sleep on the bed. He makes a nest out of the pillows now. That's his thing. Um, I keep saying I need to get him one of those donut beds because he just like always needs to be cozy and Bella always needs to be touching us. So Bella will sleep with us now and then Enzo just goes off and does his own thing. Um, but yeah, if he doesn't get attention when he wants it or they do, they get very moody. <laughs> Bless them. Okay, so I want to kind of wrap it up here, but I want to hear from you. Of all of the Pipple myths, which would you choose as number one that you wish would just die already? Oh, gosh. All of them. <laughs> um, to pick one, probably probably the lockjaw thing. I mean, really, it's just, it's, and you know what's sad is that they make it sound so believable that you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like that makes sense. But like when if you really just take a step back and analyze it and like think logically, like why are they any different from other dogs? They're not. They're dogs. Like they have the same facial structure. They have the same bone structure. Yes, they have more muscle than other dogs. That's true, which could probably make their bite more powerful. But at the end of the day, it's nothing that's going to lock their jaw. They're not like alligators. <laughs> like you bite down and that's it. Like it's game over. Like, no, they're dogs. <laughs> it is, right? And like, you know, obviously like we have critically thought beyond like the, the locked jaw, but you're right. Like they do make it very believable for the average person until you're like, oh, wait a minute. They're just dogs, right? Like they don't have like unique structures, like. I don't know. I just, I, it's so crazy how people believe they're this like mythic monster monster. And it's just like, no, they're just actually dogs, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not any more complicated than that. They're just exactly. Dogs. Exactly. Okay. So Alex, so for everyone listening, if they want to follow along on Enzo and Bella, Bella's journey, can you um, tell them how they can find you? Yes, we're on Instagram at enzo.and.bella. And we also have a Facebook that we don't really use all that much. So Instagram's kind of our go-to. Um, we do post some TikTok sometimes, but everything's linked in our bio. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Instagram is, is our main main source of entertainment. Yes, <laughs> That's oh our go-to. I love following you guys and all their cute outfits. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's that's that was kind of one of the main things that um, I was never one to really dress my dogs, but now that we have, you know, bullies and it just kind of helps to kind of make them feel, people feel a little more comfortable with them because, oh, look, they're cute and they're not really pit bulls anymore. Now they're just cute dogs and an outfit. So <laughs> it's been fun. It. Yes. Oh my God. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me you could leave a five-star review over on apple podcast to help more like-minded individuals find us